Moto Spot Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I can't thank you guys enough. Thank you to our listeners, our sponsors, everybody, man. We're 22 episodes in, and it's been a fantastic ride. So thank you, guys. It's been fun, and I'm excited to bring you 22 more episodes. But huge thanks to our sponsors, Spot Network TV, Works Connection, Bell Ray, Scott Goggles, Motion Pro, and Works Connection. Man, can't thank those guys enough for coming on board with us. And it's been uh, it's been fun. So be on the lookout for some giveaways. Like I mentioned in the last episode, we got some cool stuff coming from Scott. So I'm excited to get with Knowles and, and bring that to you guys. So make sure to check out our Instagram, at Show, And then also check out Spot Network to get this episode, the Spot Network app. So thank you to Brant and those guys over there. But man, let's get to our guest. You guys have been asking for this guy. He's the man on the uh, big screen every Saturday and Tuesday nights now. And he's done professional motocross, supercross. He's done main event moto podcast. He's done main event the band. Like, there's not much this guy doesn't do. He's eagle graded owner. I mean, he's all over the board, but he's made time for us tonight. And I'm really excited. It's uh, DB. What's up, Daniel? How are you? What's up, Triple? How are we doing? Dude, it's, uh, it's good. I got to ride Saturday and Sunday. And man, I, I'm wore out, to be honest with you. Like, I don't, I don't know what it was like when you raced back in your day, like the grind, but I'm too fat to be grinding like this. It's not, it's not healthy. <laughs> I rode this week too. I rode a, a little CRF 150 with Evan uh, at this track by my house and uh, they got a 150. So I hopped on that thing and dude, I rode probably 20 minutes, but decently hard. Yeah. And I still, it's been like four days since and I still like, been, like, Wednesday it was this part of my body, then Thursday it was this part. Like it keeps moving, and I'm like, "What is the hell is going on?" And it's, I think it all stems back from that day ride for 20 minutes. Just not use those muscles in so long, and you're like, "Oh, yeah." They, I have not used a lot of these muscles in years, and they're like, they're yelling at me like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is too, like you know, with the with the kids now riding. Like I saw you posted, I think last weekend, uh, Elena was riding around. You're on the KLX 110. You're like jumping on that, having some fun, and then like you've been riding the RM 85 with Evan here and there. Like, I feel like an 85 career is right around the corner for you. Maybe a 150R. Like, I mean, I, I could see you at Loretta's here coming soon. Maybe is there an age Dude, limit? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not kidding. If they had an adult 150R class. I mean, I mean, a bunch of other good guys would probably be able to prepare and end up smoking yeah. me. But if it was today, with no prep, no warning, just throw us all on, they could do work, man. I, I felt pretty dang good on that thing. Obviously, I fit it pretty well. I've lost a lot of weight this year, too, so I'm pretty yeah. light, so the bike's not lugging too hard. But, dude, yeah, let's go adult 150R class at Monster Cup, and uh, I'll be the first one signing up. Dude, I, I, it's off subject. I had no idea to ask you this question, but you've been riding a long time. You've seen Carson Mumford now in the professional career, starting his professional career now. You've ridden an 85. Of course, you're not in your prime, but riding both, okay, an 85 and then a 150R. Do you see any advantage or disadvantage to those bikes? Like, Because Carson, was when he was on Geico, they made him ride that 150R. So, like, I know it's not apples to apple because he was, like, on a full modded 150R. But still, like, do you think the 150, riding the 150R hurt him at all? Or do you think it was better for him? Um, I, Man, I, that's a hard question. I, I would say just from my 20 minutes on the bike, like, my brain is racing the whole time I'm riding. And I'm just thinking about, like, what this thing is underneath me. Yeah. I would think in, like, Supercross, if, you know, Futures or Arena Cross in that kind of setting, I mean, I think it would smoke an 85 it's it's got a lot of torque it's got a lot of hit you know i mean i barely touch the clutch yeah but i would think outdoors i think it would get smoked i, I don't know if it has the top end it, it doesn't scream and i dude, I remember max volan you know what a year or two ago on a super mini 
there's no way one of these ones, I don't care what you would do to one of these things, that they wouldn't be as fast as that Superman was. So yeah. I would say on outdoor, no way. But, dude, you, you go indoor, just 85 versus one of these, this, this thing would kill an 85 indoors. Yeah, because, I mean, I saw Geico did that. Like, they did it with Carson and they did it with Hunter Yoder, too. Like, they made them ride them 150s. And it's like... Watching they just didn't look as comfortable as they would like on a factory super mini. You know what I mean? Like a Team Green super mini or like a Max Volan super mini. Like those bikes just look like they rip. So yeah, it's kind of cool I think to see outdoor, both of them. Yeah, but I think I just think outdoor shredding wide open like high rev that the super minis are just they're insane. Even the, the fast eighty five, but just in the low end where you just need a little bit of torque, a little bit of growth. I, I think one of those things would be good. I mean, yeah. Dude, the first thing I thought of when I got off it was like, when am I getting Evan on one of these things for Supercross? But I would never put him on an outdoor. I, they just rev out too quick. Right. But, um, dude, timestamp this interview. Okay. I, I I don't doubt that at some point I will have him on a 150 racing futures. I, I thought the bike was incredible. So, like 13, 14, something like that. Oh, yeah. We'll be on You're a 150. Yeah. DRS suspension, pipe, gearing. Just That's right. Hitting third in the whoops. Just no problem. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Like, no no lie. In the last month, I probably had four people bring up that 150R. Like, I thought that bike was dead. But I've had, like, a lot of people talk about that bike lately. It's like it's almost like it's making a comeback because it's, like, that in- perfect in-between, right? Like, it's not a YZ125 that's too gnarly. And then it's a, 80, it's a little bit faster 85 for, like, a kid like Evan who's coming up. So it's like that bike is, like, a perfect balance, but it kind of goes underneath the radar. I think it is because it, it- – it's not really treated like a race bike anymore. It kind of it came in and kind of came out as a fad. I think, like you said, Geico kind of pushed some guys onto that thing. But yeah. I think people have lost interest in it. But I, I see some kids at the local track on them. And, I, again, my buddy had one in his garage. So it's like I think they're out there. Right. They just really haven't found their place. But, dude, just just wait two or three years from now. I'm, I'll we'll, inter- we'll reintroduce it to its place, which I'm telling you like is it. indoor. I'm telling you. Future <laughs> yeah, futures, Supercross, it's coming. 150, dude, will just smoke an 85 it's it's coming give it three years and uh, my guy will be on one evan blair to win the first futures right. title on a 150r that'd be that's tight. right that'd be tight um, dude i even looked up i mean no i i'm legitimately i'm not even joking i seriously yeah. went on mx sports website and looked up all the classes and then i went back and looked at all the futures classes to see what the age and the eligibility is and it's funny because in evan's age group he's in the 10 to 12 85 class and he's okay. ama 10 which is pathetic to have to say that just to clarify yeah, so y'all you, have know to which class. you have to do it yep yeah he, he turns 11 tomorrow if we're being honest but he is ama 10 that's what he that's what he tells his teacher at school <laughs> so <laughs> uh awesome. anyways it, but when he turns 12 that's like his good year like in his age yeah. group like he'll be going after it right but also if you want to ride the 150 that's the first year you can ride it in the 12 to 14 so I'll have a choice, either go 12 to 14 and go young and get on one or ride the 85 like one more year and um, and ride his little age class. So, I, dude, I'm, I, I'm weird like that. I'm, I'm looking ahead. You got so a just, plan. Uh, you got I a got plan. a plan. I'm, no question, I got a plan. And it was, came from a 20-minute ride in my buddy's backyard, and now I got a plan. I love it. Just you call, You're calling town tomorrow. Uh, so oh, anybody, got it. If anybody listens to Daniel's show, they know that he's got this map laid out for, for Evan. And Talon Bowen is a huge part of that map. And then who else was another? Who else is another guy that uh, you go Tony. to? Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, Tony Alessi. I'm telling you, dude. Tony, because Tony just tells me everything that he didn't do. He just says, "Do the opposite of what I did." So, <laughs> yeah, dude, he like, told me that. I he believe told it. Me that straight up. 
he said, hey, if you want uh, your kid to have a shot at this thing, like, I'm going to give you some advice, and I'm going to tell you all the things that I didn't do. Tony's probably he, regretting like, he didn't do Supercross with Mike at age 12. No, and that's, I mean, he's told me that, and that's why I I do – Evan rides a lot of Supercross stuff. Even this summer, he's got that AIM mini cross coming back at Glen Helen, and uh, we're going to go down there and hit all those. I, 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 they're, I think they're important for when you're young. I think you got to hit that kind of stuff, and – yeah, you know, I hate to uh, reveal you know my secrets and beliefs over here, but I, dude, I'm telling you, arena cross, supercross, night racing, all that stuff as a kid that goes a long way when you get into supercross someday. So uh, yeah. it, it creates a natural comfort. So I, I've got a bunch of goofy little plans that seem way off the wall right now, but I, I kind of truly do believe that you know five years from now it'll it'll look pretty good. Yeah, you're like just wait, just rubbing your hands together, you're like just wait. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Evan, like, okay, so you got, he's growing up, he's getting, you know, faster on the motorcycle. Like you posted a video the other day, him at Diablo, the old sand mountain, he's jumps that big old table in front. Also a huge shout out to him. Happy birthday, early birthday to him. But like, as a parent, like, what's that? Like, do you get excited? Do you get nervous? But like, you know, Kiefer always talks about like technique and stuff. Is, is that a big focus for you guys? Like, you're not like, Hey, I don't care if you jump that. I want to make sure you're standing up right in the right spot, sitting down in the right spots. Like what's. What's like a big thing for you guys to work on when you go to the track? Well, every day is different and we're, we're, we're pretty into it and, and not in the way that most are where we're hitting every amateur national and we're, you know, it, it, for me, it, it look at it like a long, slow development. Okay. And I don't really believe anything starts until you get into the teenage years. Anyway, that's when you really know if the kids got it. Cause think about it. There's all these different things that a kid has to have to be successful in the sport. He's got to have courage. Yeah, some kids get it at five. They come right out. They're not scared of anything. Some kids, it happens at eight. Some at 12, whatever. But they all end up getting it. Yeah. There's technique and talent, which you can develop all the way through and just by pushing weird drills and fundamentals. That They all get that. Um, but where they really, really get tested is when they become teenagers. That's when they find out, you find out if they have the will and the determination. Because when they're kids, yeah, some do, but most of them don't. Most kids are goofballs. Like Evan would miss his moto if I didn't go and find him. You know what I mean? Right. He's, he wants to play with his homies. And yeah, then when the helmet goes on, oh, he's all serious and he wants to race. But he's not really like into it, driven to succeed. And, uh, you know, it's rare yeah. for a kid to be that way. So the way I see it is usually in the teenage years is when that kind of hits. And that's when you really know if you want to make a run and want to go for it. Because then you'll find out if the kid really has what it takes. So from sense. now until then, dude, it's, it's just about fun, uh, development, racing, um, and learning. It, you know, it's. It's not too serious, but you kind of you kind of throw everything at them just so they learn a lot. So yeah. right now, that's what we do. When we go riding, it, every day is different. Some days it's sections, some days it's you know one lap sprints. Today we were doing we were doing motos today on the stopwatch. Like we were, he wanted to go fast today. We were at Riverfront. I put him with the big bikes because you know the kids class had a bunch of fifties out there. So we went for full speed. Then some days it's purely jumping. Like just track's got three big jumps. I know he can do them. We've never done them before. Let's go do those and break them down piece by piece. But, I mean, I do everything super calculated. Everything's super strategic and slow. Yeah. Uh, but it is deliberate, and it's all just building. I'm, I'm trying to just build all the different bricks in place so that when he turns 13 or 14, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the balls drop, and he's like, look, I want to do this thing. Well, then I, I got him ready. Or he goes, dude, I don't even like this crap. And I'm like, well, good. We All we did was have fun the whole time anyway. Right. Like this, so you, I, you made <laughs> memories. There's no negative emotion going on with us anymore, unless right. he's having a bad attitude, which he does sometimes. He gets mad, like you know, 
he gets roosted or he, he kind of, he's kind of reactive. So like, I, I have to sometimes get a little upset about that, but for the most part, there's no pressure. It's yeah. just fun playing around, having, you know, learning, trying different things and just kind of waiting around to see what he's like when he's a teenager. Cause that's when you know if someone's got it or not. And I think a lot of parents spend a billion dollars to go all in and they find out at 14, their kid don't like it or, or you know, out. doesn't really have it yeah. or he's burned out. And it's like, dude, you didn't waste all that. You didn't need to do all that. So, yeah. um, my, my plan is very, um, unique compared to how most do it because some are late bloomers because that's all they had the chance to be. I'm deliberately kind of creating a late bloomer because I don't really want to waste these young years as a kid on a career. He's, he's a right. kid. Yeah. And, um, so it, I'm deliberately holding him back and we don't really chase things and I'm just, just letting him grow up and have fun and learn stuff. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens when, uh, when a little hair comes under his armpits. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still, you know, who knows what happens when he has growth spurt too. You never know. He might hit a growth spurt and might be ready for a 125 at age 14. Like you just never know. I mean, I doubt it. You know, you're not very tall. Maggie, I don't believe Maggie's very tall, but it could happen. Bro, it could he's happen. my kid, dude. The odds of that happening are very, <laughs> very small. Good, slim. Yeah. No, that's good. I think he'll be like, on a, hey, no, he'll be, he'll be on a 150 when he's 38, like his dad. Dude, I love it. <laughs> this is first guy to win a title on a 125, bringing 125s back. That's right. I love it. But I mean, that's good for his confidence too. Like you think about it, like, you know what I mean? When you, you're not putting him in those crazy predictions where he has to go out and a lot of pressure and then usually pressure turns into injury. So if he can kind of just get stronger on the bike, build technique, work up, you know, get faster. But the crazy thing is he's got Elena behind him and Elena seems like she's got no fear. <laughs> like she seems she, like she's ready to go. She's, she's, they're so different. And that's the funnest thing is learning the tendencies that the kids have that are different. And Elena is like, She's like me, dude. She's little and tiny. Um, she's not afraid of anything. She crashes and doesn't care. Like, she's funny. And she'll do like a thousand laps in a row, never stop. Evan is like, dude, he he's so hard to figure out, man. Like, that's one of the reasons why I'm not going all in because I don't know what the hell is going on with him. I can't figure him out. So it's like, I might as well just have fun. Yeah. But, dude, Elena's nutty, dude. So the other day. She uh, she gets off the track. We're at Riverfront. And she's like, "Dad, I want a Cobra." I'm like, "No, you're not. You're not getting a what? You're not getting a Cobra." Like, she's like, "I want you a hear Cobra." That from? Yeah, where, what do you even know? To, how do you know what a Cobra is? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "No," and I, I, she's like, "I want one." I said, "Okay, well, I'll tell you what. If you race that Raceway this summer on your Peewee, then I'll get you a Cobra, dude." Now every morning where we going riding, what are we working on? And I'm like, "Dude, knock it off! Like, I can't, I can't handle this. You're <laughs> you're a Maggie little say? tiny little girl." <laughs> Maggie, Maggie, I don't know because she hasn't gone the last two days, and I don't even want to tell her how fast Elena's gone because she'll be probably bent. But oh, she's ripping awesome. around on the P dub, and she's all determined. And like today, we went out to Riverfront. Since I was doing lap times with Evan, she wanted lap times there. I was so gonna Evan's say, yeah, did you pull the board for her? Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't do it. I just I saw. I thought if any other anyone else saw me there doing a pit board for my little daughter on her P dub, I just. I said, Evan, you get out there with the pit board. I can't do it. It's too embarrassing. So uh, he did, and she was just, like, pinning it. And, like, whenever anyone gets next to her, she just gasses it harder. She's she's she's, she's hilarious. super competitive. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I, I'm just, just kind of, like, caught off guard. I just, yeah. she's, she's super into it. And uh, she's got really good style. She listens. Um, she, she pretty much outdoes Evan in, like, every – 
single way, like good student, listens, good attitude, tries hard. And yeah. I'm like, what the hell? My son like, where did he switch? Years, dude, yeah, where did he switch at? Yeah, for three years I was freaking like trying to do voodoo on the kid to try to figure out how to get him to listen and try. And then I got my daughter who's just like locked in. So ready to go. That's just, it's, it's funny. Dad life, man. It's something else. So the reason I bring that up, okay, is it's, they're two different dynamics, right? And you have a, a daughter and a son, but for you growing up, you had a, a younger brother. So, and you both rode both the race. So the reason I bring this up, the reason I had you talk about that is because I wanted to know like, what's that like having a sibling that also rides because we, we see it in our sport, right? We got Ryan Villapoto's, uh, Tyler Villapoto, the Whartons, the Tickles, uh, the Dungies. Like we, we've seen it before, and there's usually only one sibling that kind of stands out. It's hard for both of them to be successful. So, like, for you, like, what was that like having Vincent? Because you both, you both had, you know, decent careers. Like, you did a lot better than Vincent, but still, like, when you guys rode, like, he made mains, you made mains. Um, the story goes on from there. But, I mean, what was that like growing up with somebody? Like, was there a lot of competitiveness? Did you guys ever, like, you know, Get it? Like, what was that like? Man, okay. So, in the younger years, I mean, he was like my little brother. And I, I've i always had kind of a protective personality. Like, if it's a friend, a family member, whatever, I'm very, I'm very protective of the people that I'm close to. So, I always kind of felt like he was like, not my son, but like my like I was his guardian. And which right. is funny because I ended up being his guardian when I got older for a year, which is a super funny story. But I, I, he was always my little brother that I, you know, protected and wanted to do well and, and there was no competition really. We were shit four years apart, so we we never competed really. Um, you know, in, in the younger years, so it was like he was my my little my little buddy, and we got along really good as, as kids. Yeah. Um, then when he turned pro, I was like super stoked on him, like at Supercross. Like I would do I I was there to do my own job, but I wanted him to do well too. Like I was like always wondering, like, okay, what heat race is he in? Can he can he get in? Like I, I really cared about his success. Right. When we would race locally, I hated him. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanos, you're putting him in the cheap oh, seats for Dash for Cash. Dude, it's funny because his wife now, who is my sister-in-law, and I'm here, they have two going on three kids. She is family. When she first showed up at the races and brought her family to watch Vince, I, I almost had to beat him up at, in the, at the track at Los Banos. That's awesome. Because, dude, he, we were so competitive because it was, it was money then. And yeah. he was living at home. He was making cash, like just, you know, take yeah, his out and date cash. I had bills and a marriage, dude, and he was messing with me. Uh, he punted me one time at Banos and cost me a bunch of money. And I, so locally, once we got older, you know, I'm in my, you know, 22 and he's 18 or something like that. I, dude, I hated him. I couldn't stand him because he was really good at that stuff. He was really competitive. Yeah. Great racer, kind of a dirty ride, not a dirty rider, but just. Just methodical kind of. Uh, just, just must, yeah, just uh, a pain in the ass. Like, a little bit like Barsha. Like Barsha's not a dirt bag, but he's obviously a little, a little over the top. Yeah, Vincent was that way too. Like as a yeah, at, at local races, he was never like that at a Supercross. So locally, he was a nightmare for me. But at Supercrosses, we never were competitive. I, I wanted. I mean, we both got in the same mains multiple times out of the same heat race, so it was like big for us, you know. And yeah. And, and so, yeah, that, that's how it was. And then obviously he bowed out a lot earlier than I did. He, I think, was sick of getting x-rayed. So he decided to go and x-ray people. And now that's his job. And he has a you know, great job, great career. So after that, it, you know, it, we had a very small window of not getting along. It was usually just in the summertime for like maybe two or three years when we were both fighting for 
you know, a thousand yeah, bucks about, or twelve hundred yeah. bucks. That's or for cash yeah, add so, up for sure. Yeah, that's it. But other than that, dude, he was like I cared about him almost as much as I cared about myself. Yeah, and and you've talked about it on the show too a little bit, and he's even talked about it. like he really only raced because you raced. Like he wanted to do it because you were doing it. Like if you were to go play badminton, he probably wouldn't play badminton because he wanted oh, to hang out with you. So for sure. Well, and the, the proof of that was every time I got hurt, he would just quit until I was back. Yeah. Like I, you know, I remember. I think I tore my ACL. Uh, I think the first time, and he just like didn't ride. I was like, "Are you gonna go ride? You gonna no? Oh, I don't know. Yeah." And then all of a sudden, I was back. He's like, "Where are we going to ride?" Like. He, he he definitely liked doing it with me. I don't think he had a uh, his own passion for it. I don't think he really ever like loved it because, I, I, honestly, the sport bit him up and, and, and kind of hurt him a lot of times for unfair reasons, bike breaking, you know, just he had a lot of weird injuries that weren't his fault. So I think he didn't like love it that much because he kind of got the bad end of a lot of deals. Yeah. Um, so whenever I was into it, he'd be into it, but then he kind of would not when I wasn't. So it was, it was kind of funny that way, and uh, I, I looking back, and I never really realized it at the time, but now looking back, it, it seemed to always line up that way. Yeah, and he mentioned that too. Like, if you guys haven't had a chance yet, like, go check out his episode. We had him on, and he talked about that, talked about his his life growing up and and racing, and how it was hard to stay motivated. And because you know, and I know, like when Vincent's onto something, like he is like focused, like he's like OCD. Yeah. So, and he said, like for him, it was just. He would get going good, feeling good, doing good, and then boom, he's back in the back in the emergency room. He's like, it just drained yeah. me. Like, and it and it wasn't like, you I mean some riders make big mistakes, crash and go down, and then they get hurt and they can learn from it. Well, how do you learn from a bike, you know, seizing on the face of a jump, or right. you know, what I mean, like, what do you when you're laying in the hospital? How do you go? Oh, well, I'll be better next. I mean, you know, with a couple of those pile up. You know your 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 love wavers, and for me, I had a few of those too. I mean, I shattered both my heels from my bike season off the face of a triple at, at Vegas Supercross. I tore an ACL from getting taken out in the first turn. Like, I had a bunch of injuries that weren't my fault, but for me, I was I, I've always been so addicted to this sport since I was since I even knew what it was. Where Vincent didn't have that, so as soon as those injuries piled up, I think he was like, "All right, I'm out." Like, this yeah. is it, it worth it? Where me. I just stubbornly kept putting up with it and kept going and going and going until I finally had my last broken femur and my wife pulled the once plug. she threatened me, <laughs> once she threatened me that was it I mean yeah. I would have I'd probably still be racing right now I'm that stupid so um, yeah I needed to be told that my wife was getting a lawyer for me <laughs> for right. me to quit this yeah. it was like this sucks I'm gonna go get a job and make money and not be hurt no more and that's what he did he's I think pretty happy with that decision. No, it seems like you guys both have kind of made paths and careers that have been far and beyond what you probably ever thought would happen. You know, you like you said, if if Maggie didn't threaten you, you'd probably still be racing. And if Vincent <laughs> didn't have Ari, like who knows what he'd be doing? Like, right? It's uh, it's crazy to think like you know, looking back twenty years from now or twenty years, you know, when you were you guys in your twenties, you're doing the band thing and all that. It's like, you know, now you're going on thirty eight. I would imagine, right? Thirty eight or thirty nine. 39 this summer. So, yeah. yeah. And you're on, on 40. you're on national TV and you're running your own business. Like I've heard you say it multiple times. You're like if I would have done this 10 years ago, who knows where I would have been? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I would have, but it would have never worked 10 years ago. I don't no. think I would. The focus I don't think I would have had. <laughs> no. And the maturity and the, and the life knowledge. Yeah. Um, I went through, I went through a pretty big transformation over the last five years, just listening to different podcasts, you know, psychological um just 
you know, studying the mind and, and, and understanding effort. Like I went, I just went through a couple of little periods where I've learned a lot of things that have kind of changed who I am now, which is why I think I'm having more success in life. Right. So if all this landed on me at 28, uh, dude, I'd have crashed and burned the business and I probably would have got fired from TV. So yeah. like I, it took, it took the right time for these things to manifest. Otherwise, I don't even think I'd be able to pull off what I'm doing now. No way, 10 years ago. There's no way I would be able to do this. Right. I think now, too, like, I could be wrong, but it just seems now, right, in your life, you just have really good people. You're surrounded by really good people um, who are successful. And I don't know if that helps or not, but it just seems like you, when you have successful people around you, it brings success, right? So it's like if you're going into a weekend and you can do your do your job for the the pot not the podcast sorry but the national tv for supercross and you can leave there on a sunday and be like okay well i learned more on this on this side but i also hung out with these people at dinner and i learned this so it's like you're almost always like just absorbing so much information i feel like now where you are in your life i could be wrong but just outside looking in it seems like you're just getting that much further um you know in your life to grow to build that career in both analyst and in eagle grit yeah. Well, okay. So you made a, a point there on, you know, who I'm around and it's not just successful people. It's, it's like the right type of mind people, like people that are motivated to crush it. So it's not even, it's not even like I'm around a bunch of multimillionaires and all of a sudden I've found success because I hang with rich people. It, right. It's, I hang around with people that are like driven and want to kick ass and just think like, I mean, it's just those type of people. I mean, you're one of them, you, dude. You're driven, you, dude. You're, you have a positive outlook. You're always like looking for things to do. You're creative. All those types of personality traits is what I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I guess glued to at the moment. I, I like those types of personalities because they innovate me. So it's about being around the right type of personalities more than just how much success they've had. Yeah, it's, it, it's just people that are like minded that just, just want to kick ass and, and, and have fun you know, working hard and chasing things. I, I yeah. love the chase. I love chasing things, whether it's chasing a TV career or chasing success in business or, you know, chasing improvement in my son's writing every day. I, I love chasing and improving. So for me, being around people that are kind of like that, keeps me wanting to be like that, I think. So, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. Um, when you're around successful people, it, it kind of, you feed off that. But right. For me, most important is just uh, the personality traits and what type of people they are. No, that that's awesome. Like that's that's kind of why we you know started this show to just kind of bring insight to what makes our sport so fun and not just a sport but personality. Like people like you that are just so driven, and then you have you know mechanics and gear guys and you know just people that are behind the scenes that are are working night and day to just be successful, right? And like there's yeah. there's no really no day off. You know what I mean? It sounds too cliche but it's like you're always doing something you know you're either texting somebody or sending an email or posting or whatever it's like all these little things add up and it's just you got to adapt and and find your place and i think right now you're just you're on the gas so and that kind of brings me to my next point for you like your career in, in motocross and supercross was you know pretty good like you got on geico and you got to do that and you won a lights championship in arena cross but now you're on to your your professional career with the tv and with eagle grip do you see a lot of similarities? Like you talk about drive and motivation and passion. Like, is there t- one or two things? Like, is, do you think there's different? You know what I mean? Like, do you think the racing you did this, and then with your analyst you do that? Like, is there anything that you're like, holy crap! Like these are really similar, or these are really like different? Uh, there's a lot of things that are similar and different. The similar things is obviously the work. Uh, what you put in, you get out. 
Yeah. And as a racer, I don't think I did enough. And, and I, I, I'm not, I joke around about how lazy I was and how much I didn't care. That, that's not true. I, I put in, but I didn't put in nearly enough. I, I didn't like to suffer. I didn't like to be super tired. I didn't like to work out of the gym and feel that, that suffering pain. I didn't like to do the last 10 lap motor. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's where I fell short. It wasn't that I didn't work. I just didn't go the extra bit needed to, to get those, you know, that extra success. So I look back and kind of have a lot of regret from that. So in TV, the similarities is, is it's how much you put in versus how much you get out. Like I, I work really hard. I, I, you know, I study, I'm involved in the sport all day long. I, I make notes on different, you know, angles that I want to come at things. I, you know, I text myself constantly of different ideas I have for the broadcast or race day live or main event moto even. So it's one of those things where I don't just clock in, clock out and then just talk. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm thoroughly obsessed with the sport and, and having all the different layers of, of information ready is what makes me, I think do pretty good at it. Um, but it comes down to just the hours. It's like an hour meter. I mean, I look back on how many hours I put in the gym and on the bike. It, it wasn't enough. And the hours I put in now in this sport to do my job now is plenty. I got, it's, it's borderline too much. Probably sometimes I have to sometimes take a break and <laughs> back off and rebuild every weekend. <laughs> oh, dude, I have more than that. I'm a clutch. So the truth is uh, I'm putting way more into this because I know that the hour meter matters. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's why I'm finding success and I'm growing here. The big difference, and this is where I've had, I, I guess, some frustration at times, and maybe it's just different for me, but in racing, there was a pecking order, right? Like the guys who were winning, the guys who were top five, the guys who were top 10, and you could race yourself into different positions in the pecking order. So if you were the best, you could rise to the top. Right. If you sucked, you would work your way down. You, you know what I mean? There was movement along your result based on what you did, where in TV, it's not like that. Right. And I mean, you get a job and that's your job. And then yes, there's places you can move up in the sport. But the problem with Supercross is that there's not that many avenues up, right? It's, I mean, look at the positions I found myself in pretty early. I, I got a read across, which was dude, weird. Like I didn't plan on that. I didn't know I was going to even do TV. Yeah. And I'm just doing my thing over there thinking this is like pretty cool. And then the next thing you know, I'm on race day live as the host and I'm on the floor. And it's like, dude, I just landed on probably... I mean, maybe the third best position in the entire sport for broadcasting. Like, I'm on the floor for television, and I host a qualifying show. Right, dude. Like, I landed on the, that. You're really like a quickly. face of the sport now. Like, it sounds it sounds weird, but it really so is it, true. Like, you know it I mean? does. But, but, but I guess my point is that I kind of landed on the podium, and then there's only one other place to go up, which is to the booth. And in this world, it's not a matter of like passing and winning your way to the number one plate. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like there's more to it. There's time yeah. and there's, there's, uh, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of other, a lot of other angles that are outside of just the dirt bike racing. If you just come out and win, you're number one. Yeah. Where in this sport, dude, I freaking land in like the greatest positions ever without even really knowing what I was doing. And then now I've been there for a long time where in years past or in my past career, if you work really hard and do really well, you can move up where I've been just where I'm at. Cause this sport yeah. is, kind of topped out like that so at different times i felt like i wanted to maybe go into football or basketball because i was just too driven to be settled i was like well i want to what yeah, else I can do i more. do i want to do yeah. other sports i want to do more but i've learned that hey okay you can put your work in and do a good job but at the same time find out where your final destination where you want to be and just aim for that and that's and i realized i've landed on it I, i'm in supercross like i don't really want to go anywhere else i don't right. i don't want to challenge myself at least right now to try to go up a ladder. Like I, I love where I'm at. Like 
Well, Dude, then, I, I freaking host race day live. I'm the freaking trackside guy, Supercross. I get to work all damn day, which I don't want to sit there and do nothing. I wouldn't want to sit there and watch. Like I'd rather work. And then I get to do the press conference and the break. Yeah. Dude, I've like I've like kind of landed in the sweet spot. So it's like I've I've kind of shifted my beliefs as far as where I want to go, but, that, but that's the big difference, I guess, between the two is in racing there's a there's a pecking order and in uh, and TV it's not really like that. Well, I think that the cool thing about our sport too, or this sport, I would say, is that with where you're at now and your spot, you almost have that not relief, but just you're able to do stuff more with the riders to where they, they almost trust you more. I would say, like you know, just outside looking in, it seems like you can pull more information because you were a racer, you're not fully in the booth, so you're not going to just blow them out on live TV. But you can kind of you know use little notes from each rider and have that relationship because it seems like a lot of riders respect you and you can connect with a lot of them. So, I mean, what's that been like? Cause I, like I said, just outside looking in, it seems like you have a lot of a lot of knowledge, but it also seems like you also can just spit out random like facts and hit people with hard knowledge. But you got to be like you got to pick and choose when you do it because you don't want to just be like you know Roxon's doing this tonight because of this. Like you have to like kind of right. So I mean. It seems like you're very good at relaying the message without just, you know, going above and beyond. You're it's you're giving the insight, but you're not trying to um I don't know the right word that I'm looking for, but you're just not trying to blow anybody out, it seems like. Well, I, I think it took a couple of years for me to get the trust, I guess. Yeah. Uh from the riders. And I think what they've come I mean, I, I they they must because I've been told by multiple top riders that they really love the way I cover the sport and the way that I even cover them. And that's riders I've been critical of. So yeah. I think what it is, is I've, I've earned their respect by being an honest analyst. Look, I don't blow anyone out. I don't, you know, I don't take cheap shots. I mean, I obviously on main event moto, we, I joke around and, and take shots at the riders, but yeah, in fun. a playful yeah. way, which is why I've never really had a problem there. But at least on TV, like I'm honest as an analyst. Like I'll, dude, I'll have a great conversation with Colt Nichols, and we'll be buddies and blah blah blah. And then that night, I'll, if he does something wrong, I'll say it. And yeah. I think that he realizes that wow, like Daniel's telling the truth. Like he's just being honest, even if he doesn't like. And I'm, not, I'm just using Nichols as an example. I, no, I don't even no, know if I that's get, ever yeah, happened. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is they, I think they respect the fact that I'm honest and I do say what I really think, even if it's not what they like, but it's fair. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I I'm fair. But I will also be critical. Like right now, I'm, I'm pretty being a little harsh on Ken Roxon about his the method in which he in which he is fighting back Cooper Webb, which to me isn't enough. Yeah. Look, dude, I, I don't think he's going to be mad at me for that because he probably knows that I'm pretty pretty close to the truth. Maybe I have my own little take on it. Maybe I'm a little off of his belief. But dude, I'm being fair. I'm not saying anything that's disrespectful. I'm not, and I'm not way out of bounds. So you do that for a couple of years and then the writers learn to respect you. They realize that, yeah, you're not going to kiss their ass, but you're also right. going to treat them nice. Like I'm going to treat them good. Yeah. But I'm also going to be critical because that's my job. Look, if, if they're going to try to be their best and make the money that they want to make in their life for their family, then they need to respect the fact that I have to do what's best for me and my family, which is be honest because that's the best trait in an analyst is being honest. So, and I feel like I balance the line very well in being respectful uh, but also truthful when things need to be said, and I'm, and I, I hope, and I think that they all understand that because I, I've not yet been told by any writer that I don't, they don't like the way I do what I do. I've had a couple people be a little, a couple writers upset about Nathan Moto a couple times, but that's, <laughs> that's not always fun. my fault. I, yeah. I do have a mouthy brother, um, so I, overall, <laughs> I, I think 
I'm pretty fair. Yeah. And I think they realize that. And that's why I, I think it's kind of working. I have a really good relationship with the writers. I get, I get more information than I even want out of them. They, they, they're open because they know I'm going to, I'm going to paint them in the, the yeah. right light. Right. I'm going to paint them in the right light. And then when they do something wrong, I'll be honest um, about it, but right. I'll be fair. Yeah, it's, you know, like kind of like with the the rocks and thing, you know, a lot of people are like, why did he get such a bad start? And then you went to his gate and you picked, you know, showed his rut like that, you know, little things like that, you know, because it's like this, this sport and these fans are so quick to judge. Right. So the faster we can give them insight and the faster you can give, not we, but you can give them insight and give them information. It's better for, for the whole entirety of the sport because it's like we're so quick to judge like you know right now i had somebody at the track yesterday ask me what's wrong with rocks and i'm like dude i don't think there's anything wrong with the guy i think cooper's just better like you know yeah like have you ever thought of that like cooper is just a strong dude like cooper does not usually lose when he is going up against somebody look at his 250s and you know what i mean like the dude's just strong like you know what i mean and it's like you can't take that away from him and it's like yeah kenny might be a better not technical but like more talented rider but when it comes to like technical and mental like i think cooper's just got to figure it out yeah i i agree with you and that's that sometimes is the problem is i think we're pretty quick to judge every situation i mean i think i'm, I'm guilty of that i even you know when roxon kind of had a bad call races i was like oh man he's he's cracking he's he's cracking and yeah. then i started kind of looking at it from another angle and i said well no he's not like Cooper is just a little better, maybe in general, or maybe just right now. Maybe Roxon comes out in Atlanta and wins three straight, and we're like, "Holy crap, Cooper's cracking!" When, when really would he be cracking? Or, dude, these guys are all so damn good. Like when one gets hot, they get hot, and the other yeah. ones are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And it's like, so I, I'm kind of changed my tone on Kenny too. I said that on the last episode of Main Event Moto. I, he's the second baddest Supercross rider in the world. He's just right. got one guy who's a click better. Yeah, he's I, not cracking. He's just—I mean, he's—he's—he's he's, he's for the most part waxing last year's champion in the point standings. Right. So how is he? How is he bad? Now he's not bad. He's just Cooper Webb has found something pretty special over the last six races, and Kenny hasn't been able to respond to it yet. So I—I I don't think it's over, and I don't think that um, again, Kenny. I, I don't. I, I think the narrative about him cracking is because of old years and old things. I, I don't think he is. I think he's just getting beat. And he's going to have to find a way to just be a little better. And then maybe he goes on a run and then Cooper's going to have to find a way to respond. It's as yeah. simple as that right now. I think, I think it's one a and one B at the top. Webb's Webb's on a roll right now. He's got, he's 15 up. That's, it's, yeah. it's that yeah. simple. And I don't think we need to complicate it. No. And I think what's really cool about right now is we have six rounds left in open stadiums and three of them are Tomac specialty. So it's like, I mean, you can even say six of them are because with altitude, but we have a lot of racing left like anything can happen um but you know going back to what you said with you know prepping and doing stuff differently and and whatnot do you what's like a week look like for you like you know fly out saturday well now you'd fly out thursday you're there saturday through saturday so like what's it like been you for you and like are you enjoying these so-called air quote residencies i halfway enjoy them because it's it's kind of neat to be there and, and just, you know, get in the zone and be like super cross for a week. Like, I, I mean, honestly, if, if you love the sport and you get to go and be somewhere for 10 days and have three races in 10 days, like how could you not love that? So yeah. I love that part of it. Um, it's obviously hard with the business stuff right now because Eagle Grit's exploding and I'm, and I'm not here enough. Like I, I, 
it's very, very hard. I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time with it in, in, on many days. But um, I guess, I, I mean, to paint you through like Atlanta, which is coming up, I'll fly out Thursday afternoon. I always take the latest flight possible because I just want to get as much work done as I can before I leave. Yep. Um, so I'll land like 11 or 1130 or something, and then I'll, you know, go over to the hotel. Friday morning, I usually kind of wake up and get organized, do a little bit of work from home, some computer stuff just to kind of close out the week, maybe some bookkeeping, stuff like that. And then around noon, I'll head over to the venue and watch press. Well, actually, I got to go get my COVID test first, COVID test, then press. Um, and then we have some, you know, some TV meetings and we fax check all of our equipment, you know, five, six o'clock at night. Uh, and then go out to dinner and kind of like, you know, try to settle in a little bit. Yep. Saturday is obviously race day. Um, Sunday, I usually go back to the stadium and do like a round table for Feld, like a, a YouTube show. Um, I'll do a couple beyond the tracks, which I just found out. I'm going to be interviewing a four-time Grammy winner um, on oh, Sunday, damn. which is pretty cool. There you go. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let you all guess and try to figure out who it is, but pretty, pretty freaking cool. They must live in Atlanta. Uh, so. Uh, no, it's all over Zoom. It's all over Zoom. Oh, it's so, over Zoom. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's Sunday. Sunday ends up being a pretty busy day at the stadium with a lot of Zoom type stuff. Monday, I, I spend the majority of Monday trying to get work done before I go to the stadium at like 4 or 5 o'clock. Okay. Um, and then we do the same thing. We do meetings. We do facts check, uh, maybe a little rehearsal if we have to for Race Day Live. It hasn't happened in a while. We've been, we've been so locked in on that show. It's been pretty solid. Yeah, you and Dan are uh, crushing it. But sometimes, like in the beginning, we would maybe do a little rehearsal, just 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 checking things, you know, with yeah. making sure everything was dialed, which it's been, um, which is funny too, because you see a lot of people talk bad about Race Day Live, but I haven't heard anyone complain about the quality of the show this year. In the past, they were like, ah, oh, the show, the stream, this, the well, it's been pretty damn good this year on Peacock, and it's, yeah. it, 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 I'm just saying, it'd be nice to hear uh, hear a little positivity coming from the you know, the, the issues that have been fixed on that show, which I, I think we've done a I think we've done a pretty damn good job this year on, on race day live. So um, then Tuesday, it's another race day. So, I mean, pretty much Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is, is pretty wild. There's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nonstop Wednesday, Thursday. I get to just do work only, which is good. Cause I, you know, I'm on the phone with Maggie back home. Yeah. Just going through the motions of all the things we've got to do. Usually I'm lining up her deliveries for Wednesday and Thursday. She does web orders all throughout the week. Um, Wednesday and Thursday, though, is at least my personal days to just sit in the hotel, sweatpants. I don't leave. I get some DoorDash and just stay in and focus on work. Then Friday, rev it back up again, do all the, the, the day before stuff, Saturday race, Sunday, get the hell out of there. Gotcha. So okay. that's how that trip will go. And like I said, Wednesday and Thursday are the only days that I actually feel like I get to breathe. And the majority of Wednesday is catching up, Monday, Tuesday. And then the majority of Thursday is handling Thursday and Friday's business. So there's not much time to breathe, right. but at the same time, it's, I've gotten to the point in life, I think, where when things slow down, I start feeling depressed because I feel like feel nothing's like happening. Like yeah, I, like you just feel I'm like useless. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm addicted to the action right now. Like It's like, I mean, I'm wide open all the time, and it takes me a while to get this way, but to the point now where even today, I'm just sitting around kind of hanging out. Dude, halfway through the day, I feel depressed. Like, I got to do something. I got to go outside. I got to do something. Like, because I'm just start filling up bottles. <laughs> dude I, I did we actually went and we're doing a moto bundle deal this week uh on main event moto where we're doing a little special for the our eagle grip moto bundle and so me and maggie and the kids we all went to the storage unit and built we pre-built all these moto bundles to go out this week so nice even even on easter sunday just 
working because I just I, just I can't child, not. Just dude. child I feel labor, dude. Oh, all, dude, all day long. I mean, you <laughs> kids want to go ride, and you, expensive. That P Dub wasn't cheap. Label some stuff, Elena. There you go. So, uh, yeah, seven year old working CPS or whatever is that what it's called? CPA. What, what are they uh, called? Child oh, child services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CPS. Yeah, <laughs> come and get me. I'll give you my address. You can come watch. You uh, can, hey, and if you want, you can help. Yeah. So anybody listening, if you're looking for a job, EagleGrit.com. Send Daniel your resume. <laughs> yeah, you got to be seven years old, though, and really cute and ride a P-Dub. Otherwise, I'm not interested. That's, that's, I got one position available, and it's filled right now by my loved one. And from the sounds of it, she'll fight you. She's very competitive. Yeah, she will. And if you don't take your riding, she'll throw a complete fit and go her toys around. So. Yep. So talk, you know, kind of going a little bit back now, kind of, I uh, should have asked this a little earlier, but it's all good. It is what it is. But... Talking about your career, talking how busy you are, talking about all that. For you, you know, Vincent told us you used to practice in front of the TV, kind of spitball off the, the cuff and announce when you were a kid, you know, in the living room. So for you, was announcing kind of like, did you always think, okay, I'll do dirt bikes, race, and then I'll announce? Or like, what was that? What was your goals? Like, you know, was motocross your main? Of course, motocross was your main focus, right? But about like what age did you say, okay, I want to get into TV or I want to do do more stuff inside the sport after I'm done racing? I, it was pure luck. I mean, honestly, I was terrified of what was coming next. Like I, I was racing arena cross making, you know, money. I had a full-time job while I was racing. I was just doing whatever I could to make money and just, you know, take care of my family. But I was terrified of like, what am I going to do? Like I didn't go to college. I don't really like anything else. Like what the hell? There's not many options out there. And, um, and so the TV thing was just lucky timing. Honestly, I got a call and was asked to audition. I auditioned, I got the deal. The next thing you know, I'm on TV and I can tell you right now that the pay wasn't good. It wasn't like I was like, I made it. I mean, right. it, yeah. it was the worst paying thing of all the things I was doing. Even my last year or my first year doing TV, I still was racing. I was like, dude, I, I can't afford just this only, like I have to race too. And luckily they, allowed me to race the lights class and didn't put that class on TV for that reason. So I could race and do TV. Nice. Um, but I, TV wasn't a career or anything, I guess, until I went to supercross. When I, I got the call from Michael Prince, he was the, uh, TV, the top dog for TV at Feld. And he called me, he was the one who, you know, was part of the process of me getting the arena cross deal. Okay. He said, what are you doing on the weekends? I said, well, right now, nothing. I just, I fly to Chicago on Monday and do arena cross TV. He's like, all right, well, you're doing race day live now. And I'm like, what? Yeah, like, can you repeat yourself? What did you just say? And I and I had, I'd been on that show as a guest, but I'd never yeah. like watched it. Like I, it, you know, I wasn't. I I didn't even know where it could be found on the internet. You know, I, I didn't know. So I was like, okay, yeah, I guess. And then later that year, which was pretty cool, this is my first year. I halfway through the year, I moved into Race Day Live, and then at the very end of that year, they gave me a shot on the floor to be, you know, the next to Jenny Tapp. It was only her. And they said, yeah, we'll put you in Ricky's spot because Ricky does it every once in a while. We'll let you try that. Yeah. So that was Salt Lake City, round 16 in 2017, and I got to do one round. Well, when it came back to next year, I got to do half of them. I was the host of Race Day Live. I was Arena Cross. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I, I think I have a career here. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I chased this. I didn't seek it out. I didn't, you know, come to some conclusion in my head that I was going to be a TV guy. All of a sudden, I was just doing it. Okay. And I was like, this is cool. Like, oh my God, like I love this. It's natural for me. I get to be at the races. I don't have to get hurt anymore. Um, you know, the pay was a little bit better. It wasn't enough to make a living, but it was enough yeah. to like at least be intriguing. 
And then it's just grown since there. Like every little aspect of it's grown and my role has grown. My, my personal brand has grown where I'm, you know, becoming more of like part of the team where before I was just kind of like, you know, I was there, but I really wasn't like, you're like a fill in, you're like a fill in writer. Yeah, I kind of was. I was like the fill in guy. And then I kind of was like, it was just like a growing role and it's grown into a career where it it wasn't that way at all. I didn't even, I never thought it was going to do anything. I just, it was a couple hundred bucks (laughs) at first. So um, and now obviously it is what it is. And it's just, I look back and I'm just, can't even believe it. I'm blown away. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I, I mean, I lucked out. I, I didn't know what I was going to do and I didn't have some master plan. I mean, honestly, if I would have had a master plan, it, it would have never been this. I, I wouldn't even have thought of this. I, I never thought of it once. So I get the phone call to audition. So I just, honestly, I look back and just lucky, like lucky and grateful. And I just feel like, uh, somebody was looking out for me because I, I didn't know what I was going to do and how I was going to take care of my family. And now it's all worked itself out. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you just kind of got to keep building those relationships and keep putting yourself out there and, you know, making sure like everybody you talk to, you're like, Hey, like I'm Daniel Blair. I'm here to like, you know, learn, get, you know, I'm, I want to get involved. I want to do this. I want to do that. And like, you kind of put your, your foot in front of the other and, and made it work. So Man, that's awesome. Like, that's really cool to know that, you know, it's like one of those things to where it's you're in the right place at the right time. And it's one of those things to where we've talked about on the show a lot of times, like sometimes you have to do things for no money so that you can make your successful career in the long run. You know what I mean? So it's like if you got to go to this event or if you got to go, you know, do this with this, like you just never know who you're going to meet or you never know what's going to what opportunity is going to come out, like especially this podcast. Like I'm not getting paid to do this podcast, but we get to have some really cool guests on and we get to learn some really cool information and Man, that's that's awesome for you that it all worked out and now yeah. you're, now you're doing the eagle grit thing and for you like you know like you said it you kind of got lucky but looking back is there anything you kind of wish like you did the main event uh band like I know for you like that was tough to balance that and racing but do you sometimes think like you wanted that to be more successful or is that always just kind of like a hobby because I know like Vincent's very uh you know skilled at that very gifted at you know doing guitar and EPs and yeah. mixing and everything. So do you ever think like, I wish I kind of would have put this much focus into the band or was that always just kind of like a hobby for you? Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I mean, I feel bad admitting this and it sucks my brother, but it never was the same for me as it was for him. Yeah. He was way more natural at it. He was more talented. I think he was more driven. Um, he kind of had the personality to be, I think a rock star. Um, I, I care about it because I was like kind of a driven person because I was a racer. So I kind of had that thing going for me, but I always knew it wasn't the right fit. Like I never felt comfortable as a front man. I, I, I didn't feel like it was the best thing to do being married either. And then having a kid, like when we tried to do our little second kind of go around when we were you know playing with Buck Cherry and, and kind of there at the very end, yeah. like I, I, I didn't, I felt kind of guilty. Like this isn't what's best for my family. Like I, I mean, how, how cool would it be for my wife and my son to be at home while dad's like out. Party. Like, Almost doing party like people, Yeah. They, they see it as that, but I just, you know what I mean? I just, yeah. I, I it never, it never felt right to me. And I wanted like to make yeah. it. I wanted to make it cause I love singing and I love writing music and I, I love rock and roll. I love all that, but I really wasn't passionate about being a front man. And I really wasn't passionate about <laughs> the life that would go along with succeeding. Right. So it was like one of those things where I wanted to succeed, but I also was afraid that if I did, it was probably destroy my, it probably destroy my life. 
Right. So it was weird because I always had one foot in, one foot out, and I feel like I kind of ruined it for my brother. Um, you know, maybe if he would have had a different singer, a front man, or maybe if he would have focused more on that side of his own musical talents and became more of a singer. I don't know, because I think I definitely was more of an anchor um, than I was an asset, gotcha. I guess, for the band. So, yeah. And, and I, it's taken me a lot of time to admit that now and looking back, but you know, now that I understand myself better and understand that I've always had this obligation to my son and to my daughter and to my wife about being a good dad and husband, that I've always kind of self-sabotaged things that would have led me to be bad to them. Right. So I kind of, in the same way, even with my racing career at the end, like I kind of stopped going racing internationally. I started doing a lot of things at the very end uh, to just uh, avoid doing something that would be bad for them. And the music thing, again, the, the last time when we made our little last run, I I cared because I loved the I loved part of it, but I definitely, without question, did not go all in because I was afraid that if I did find success, it would it would ruin my marriage and I'd lose my kids. So yeah. uh, I don't somebody. Yeah. So if if you're asking if I regret, the answer is like hell no. Like I, I yeah, I'm glad it didn't work out. If it would have worked out, I, I wouldn't have the things that matter most to me in this world, which is my family. So right, right. I'm really glad uh, the music thing didn't work out. Yeah, and I mean, and you guys still do it for fun. I know, like you, you showed me some stuff in indie um, that you and Vince have worked on, and it's really good. Um, so, I mean, there's some stuff that you get to still do for fun. It's just like you're not doing the touring and all this stuff, but you, at least you get to still produce music here and there. And I think that's kind of cool, like that you can still use your your uh, creativity side on that, right? Like, so I, I I could see that being interesting and keeping you motivated, not only for the music side, but also just playing with stuff you know, for you and your brother, cause you guys can't ride anymore. So it's, it's cool that you guys can still do something in your later years together. Yeah. I, I, I love music still. So does he, he's obviously not in a place now to chase some music career. So for right. us, it's just getting our schedules to line up so we can go in and record music. Cause we both still love that. Um, and I don't honestly, that shit that could go on for another 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. I, I love music. So does he, and he's obviously a talented producer. Uh, we just got to get on the right schedule. I just life is brutal for both of us. He's got his third boy coming in, and then obviously my brother's trying to make it to the LP. He's trying to make it to the LPGA. Yeah. So you know he's busy too, and um, you know just our, our schedules don't work very well right now. Even though we live three miles away from each other, we just we don't get to hang nearly enough because I just yeah, I'm busy and he's busy. busy yeah. And I get when I get three hours of free time, there's like no way in hell he's free. There's no it's just, we have to almost. Like honestly, we hang out on Main Event Moto podcast. Is almost it. That's it. Yeah. Like I would say, at least at least fifty percent of the time we hang is on the podcast. The other fifty percent is like holidays and shit. So (laughs) yeah, the family uh, functions. (laughs) Yeah, but we'll 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 find a way to get some music done because we we both really want to. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where you guys get to at least have something still to do together because it's. Like you said, the schedules are so crazy, and you know, with him, like I even asked him, I'm like, dude, like your boys are getting older, like they're getting on the stay six, like dirt bikes in the future. He's like, I don't know, like he, you know what I mean? Like he's like scared almost, which I get it, you know what yeah. I mean? It's it's crazy, um, the injuries that he's gone through, and but it's cool that you're doing it with Evan, so he can kind of feed off you and see if Gio or Ollie want to get into it, and then maybe here in the next five years, you guys will be going to the races together. But anyways, that's a whole another episode in, in in itself, but. For you, like uh, like I said before we started the show, we have a new segment um, that 
JD Beach is helping us out with. So if you guys don't know who JD is, please go check him out at JD Beach on Instagram. Um, he's a World Superbike Champion, or not? Sorry, a Moto America Champion Super Sport 600 class. He is now doing the American Flat Track Series, and he's absolutely crushing it. So please go check him out. He's also in Fly, which is nice. Um, speaking of Fly, dude, we got Mesh coming soon. The new Mesh stuff is about to drop. Yeah, I mean, I, it normally lands. It, it normally to lands Daytona. like Daytona, yeah. I know, but I've I've heard there's like ships circling out in the middle of the Pacific or something. God, dude, you have uh, no I don't. I, it's not even the moto industry. It's like the entire world. Like, yeah. and then there was one of those things was tipped over in the canal. It's like, what the hell is going on down there? But now I'm waiting for that stuff, and um, I, I've heard it. I mean, I've heard this from multiple fly people, which obviously you guys are all fly people, but yeah. I've heard that this is like the thickest line you guys that. At least the kid stuff, because I always ask, what's the kid stuff look like? That's all I care right. about. And I've been told by multiple people, dude, nailed it. And this nailed is only it. like so a I, little I'm, snip of it. You know what I mean? Like mesh is only like four four colors and one other color, so technically five. And then our big launch is in, 22, or in August, which are 22 gear. And I haven't even seen that stuff yet, but I've heard it's like the best that we have. That's what I heard too. Yeah. I heard the kid stuff is off the hook, so I'm, I'm – yeah. I'll be bugging the crap out of you and JT and everybody else there. I, I, I make my rounds. I make my rounds and yeah. bug. And you guys are all pretty damn stubborn and annoying about it. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll get my eyes on that stuff somehow. I'll find a way. Using your analytics uh, profession, just kind of get in there, you know, like an yep. undercover journalist. That's yeah, right. I'll uh, find a way. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so, yeah, if you guys uh, are listening, like, please check that out. We'll be dropping that soon in a couple weeks. I'm really excited. So please go to your local dealer. Check that out. Also, please check out Scott Goggles. The new prospect is available now. Uh, military edition just came out. The Pro Circuit edition is now out now. So please go to your local dealer. Same thing on Motion Pro, Bell Ray, Works Connection. Go support your local dealer. Without dealers, we don't have new bikes. And I don't know about you, Daniel, but I like new bikes. Um, so oh, yeah. please, please support your local dealer, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, so for JD, he's got a couple questions for you. Um, let's see what he's got. Hey, let's see. JD Beach. Um, boom, boom, boom. I should have had this more prepared, but, hey, that's why we do these shows. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> to have fun. So JD asks, he wants to know, is there a – one major choice you made in racing that you ever think would have went different direction in your career would have been different. So is there something you've done or something you could have done different um, that may, hmm. maybe would have changed the direction of your career? No, I mean, in all honesty, it wasn't a decision that was made. It was one injury that I really, really, really think uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I look back into my youth that I think were wrong. I definitely rushed it too quick. Okay. Um, I turned pro way too young. But I, there's a little things like that. But I, I feel like over the first couple of years of my pro career, I kind of righted the wrong on the on the youth mistakes. But in 2003, uh, Anaheim won. I was a privateer. I was really prepared that year. I, you know, I was. I it was one of those years where I really had like built off the summer. Like I just had a lot going into the season. I was really prepared. The year before, I had done pretty good. No two, I made, you know, one twenty five main, two fifty mains. I, I was, it was like I was leading main events. I was like starting to like figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. And then O three Anaheim one, I was I think like sixth or seventh in qualifying in, t- in practice. I was, dude, I was ready to go. And uh, in the first daytime qualifier, I got in a first turn crash and tore my ACL, and that. Oh. That that really really like just set me back a couple like it just set me back at least a year or two as far as where my trajectory was going. I was ready to be 
probably a solid five to ten guy as a privateer that year, which I think me being what eighteen or nineteen years old, I, I think it would have it would have given me a chance to maybe get my my feet into the door with a factory team a little earlier than I did, which was like in my late twenties when I finally got a fill in ride. Yeah. So I think without that injury, I, I was pretty much ready to, to, to make the big jump that year. And um, just, yeah, that, that was a bad deal. The other one, I guess, is in 04. Um, I had had a really good season in 04, kind of bounced back. And I had an offer to ride the Canadian Nationals that summer. I was riding a lot of outdoor. I was prepared. I was going to do really well. And uh, we ended up going to the Vegas Supercross. Kind of wasn't planning on doing that one. I was going to skip it and just get ready for the Canadian Outdoors. Decided to go anyway. And um, my bike seized on the face of the triple. Shattered both my heels. And that was... Pretty much three years of my life got taken away from that. I I, I still have problems with these feet. Yeah. I mean, both my ankles are fused, and I have a plate with ten or plate with eight pins in both feet, and my left heel is fake. That's so gnarly. you can imagine it took a while to come back from that one. Yeah. So those two things early, I think, really like changed the course of what could have happened. Um, but I wouldn't really say any of my decisions as a pro. I guess other than not really again going all in and training as hard as needed to be done, I would say, say giving 80%, which is why I, I, I would feel comfortable saying I gave 80%. Okay. That, that's a regret, but that wasn't like a decision really. So I would just say those two injuries really steered the course and made, it just made things really hard to bounce back from. And by the time I got it together in 09, I was too old to really be considered a viable option. You know, I was 27 years old. I was a fill-in rider and I was, yeah, seventh, eighth place guy, but that, it was a little little too late for it, so okay. still I don't live in regret at all. So I'm I'm cool with it. But uh, yeah, those 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 things I look back on kind of kind of ruin the uh, ruin the path a little bit. Okay, yeah, no, that's perfect. Like that's you know one of those things where you know if people don't know you, they're we're trying to get people to learn to know you a little better and kind of give that back yeah. that backstory. But yeah, I mean it's one of those things where you raced for a really long time. I mean you went you were racing pro at your first uh, overall was in 99 it looks like 125 west uh yeah so i mean that was uh, 16 i actually i raced arena cross the year before that okay Uh, so 98 was my first year racing pro uh at 15 and then i my last race was 2015 uh, at the age of 33 so i did 15 and 30 was 18 years i raced professionally that's crazy that's a lot i didn't realize that that's a long time three years from now evan could be racing pro just kidding, but I mean it's it's crazy yeah, to think about that, right? 11. Like as a dad, like at fifteen, you're racing pro supercross, and now well, let's your see. son's eleven. Let's see. Okay, so he's turning eleven tomorrow. Okay, I was fifteen and a half, so that means in four and a half years he could be racing pro. Where four and a half years ago he had just started racing at Sac Raceway, so that means he would go from Sac Raceway barely even able to go around to now, and then the same amount of time be racing professional which is eight years <laughs> psycho but yeah. the times are different too we were on oh, two strokes is. back yeah. then which i think was a little bit safer I, 15 years old racing pro right now i think i think it would be a bad decision right. so yeah. i know what you're saying though age-wise though at that age i was racing professional yeah. it's like you could never <laughs> but it's like even being a father now though could you even imagine having your son at 15 years old going and racing supercross or motocross like and granted like right. you said it's different right like Back in the day, 98, 99, all you had to do was send in a letter, have somebody that knew a or that was an AMA promoter sign off on you, and you were there's your license, and you paid your money. Like it wasn't like a you know you had to do a read across or futures or anything like that. So again, like you said, times are different, but 
just as a parent, it'd be pretty gnarly to think like at 15, you were racing. And then now at 15, like you can never imagine Evan racing at 15 it's, at pro it, class. It is crazy. It, it's funny you say that too, because I thought about that today driving home. You know, he, he is starting to get pretty fast. Um, I even just got home and watched his GoPro and I was like, shit, he's flying. Uh, he's starting to really get fast. And I, it's happening to where I almost like catch myself on the day going like, Holy crap. Like, yeah. Wow. He just took another leap. But then within like five minutes, it almost becomes like the new norm. Now it's like, kind of like, okay, that's how fast it is now. So as scary as it seems for me to think about him on a two fifty right now, racing a cross. Yeah. It seems weird because that's so far away, but when it does come, it'll feel normal then. Like right now he's riding like at the like a kid who's turning 11. And if I would, if you would ask me that two years ago when he was out there on a fifty, still like you know, because he was he, I kept him on the fifty till he aged off of it. He was way old and way big, right? Dude, I, I could have never imagined that like that he'd be going this fast on an eighty-five. Like no way, but he is, and it's normal. So yeah. you know what I mean? As weird as it seems, the progress just kind of follows. Here. Yeah, it's gonna pop up here really quickly, and I'm gonna be sitting there like yelling at him, probably like, "Why are you doing this?" And it's like. Yeah. We're a couple of years in the back. I'm like, I can't even imagine him jumping. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, stop it's, scrubbing it's, that step are, up. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude, stop doing the whoops and forth. That's terrifying. You yeah. know, like that's coming soon. Right. And it'll be like before I even know it. And I'll be like, oh yeah, remember when he was on a 50? Right. Like, it's so weird how fast, like their little brains. Like, I think there's different ages where you take a big leap too. Like he's this 10 to 11 age. All of a sudden it's like making sense. And he's starting to do shit out there that I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you wow. start to notice like, more too. Weird. Like he starts to like notice. Like if he's watching other racers or other classes, he's like, he picks up other things too. You know what I mean? They, the attention span almost gets like you said. You see the progression, and if you at thirteen, you he's either going to say I'm over it, or he's going to say let's keep going. So in the next two well, years, the, it's going to be a lot of like learning and and seeing if this is something he wants to do. I think. Of course, and here again, back to the time change and how weird it is. Dude, two years ago, he's out there, you know, because he's 10. What was he, two years? Yeah, two years ago, he was eight on a 50, like getting ready to race the summer series at Riverfront on a 50. Yeah. And he's out in the kids' practice, and I'm like, crap, dude. Like, I hate the 85s jumping, like, over his head. Like, because he was jumping some stuff, but he was a late jumper. He didn't like to jump. So I'm like, this is two years ago. Two years ago, he's out there getting jumped over by 85s, and I'm terrified. (laughs) Today, at Riverfront, he's in the big bike practice on an 85. And he's doing his lap times, and he comes off after one of them was kind of a bad one. He had a 147. And I was like, yeah, you had 147. He's like, yeah, well, I had a bunch of goons in my way. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Two years ago, he's on a 50 getting jumped over. And now two years later, he's in the big bike practice bitching because there's big bikes in his way and ruining his lap time. He's been hanging out with, that stank. Happened he's been hanging out with stank, long. stank too long. That Dude, that took two years, and it's insane to me. Yeah, but at the same time, when I watch him ride, it looks normal because I've watched every step of it. So I'm like, yeah, like yeah, but you're still doing, you're still not using enough front brake in that corner right yeah. there. And I'm like, oh wait, big picture here, dude. This little kid was on a 50, like, like not that long. Yeah, ago. the progression's it's, coming. It's insanely fast, man. It's and it's it's creepy how good they get quick. You know, it's like, I, dude, he's 
flying. Right. And he was just a baby like a minute ago. It was really weird. Yeah. No, it's insane. Like, and, you know, people that doesn't don't understand the Stank Dog reference, like, Stank used to do that as a kid. He'd go to Sack Raceway 85, race program, and just T-bone dudes on 2VDF and just take all their money. So that's why I made the Stank Dog reference. So anybody, oh, yeah. anybody who's like, why is he talking about Stank Dog? Stank Dog used to be a gnarly 85 rider that would just mop up dudes on 2VDFs. So, yeah, he was a local daddy while he was, like, 15 on a mini bike. Yeah. It was – he. He was a, yeah, he was, he was a shithead. <laughs> probably, flip, probably flipping them off and trying to fight half of them, too. Yeah. So that's why that reference is there. So we love you, Stank, but for people that don't know, that's why. Yep. But um, so, JD's next question for you is Did you ever have any superstitions while you were racing? If so, did any of those transfer over to your TV career? No, I, I mean. I guess I would every once in a while be like, "Ooh, I do better in the color this this gear," you know. But I yeah. never really, I never had. No, I can't think of anything that was like a consistent thing. You know, like you yeah. know how it is. Like I'd win a race in like a set of gear, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna wear that because I win in that gear." You know, right. silly stuff like that. But it, that, but then I would lose that night and be like, "Oh, well, never mind that." Yeah, that so, out. you know what I mean. <laughs> but so I never had any long-standing superstitions. And then for TV, um, I, I mean, I do have one. I have one. That might be weird to some people. It's not weird to me, but uh, during race day live, which always is the first thing of my day when we're you know sitting in the chair ready to go, um, I I say a prayer uh, every time about a minute about a minute before the show starts, right before we uh, like you know Eric the producer's like hey we're about two minutes out, you know I just tell Dan hey good show good luck let's have some fun and then I just close my eyes and I I just say a little prayer. And, yeah. um, that's the only thing. It's, so to me, that's not a superstition. It's just something that's personal for me. It's just a, a right. little convo with my, with my dude upstairs, just, uh, thanking him for, you know, what I have and asking him to, uh, help me be my best. There you go. And I do that every single show. And then that carries me into the night program because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't got to do it twice. I don't, maybe I should, maybe I got to check in twice, but I, I feel like I start the day that way. It's just a little, uh, you know, take a big breath and just kind of start my day. So. Not a superstition, but just definitely part like of routine. my yeah, like a routine. More deal. part of my routine and, and how I uh, feel comfortable. Yep, I would say for me, my my superstition is helmets. Whenever I get a new helmet, I have to throw it on the ground. Every time I don't throw it on the ground, <laughs> I crash. Every time, never fails. I I used to crash anyway, so it's, yeah. I just said screw it. <laughs> like okay, so but I know a lot of this, people like, have Evan, that like one. Evan got a new painted helmet, right? Did you throw it on the ground before he wore it? No, I didn't. And he crashed he in. Popped Oh, he well, he more than likely dropped it out of the back of the truck. Okay. Like he's just he's clumsy. So like I guarantee <laughs> he's always like, Yeah, this is cool. He probably dropped it on accident. So it, that thing definitely got beat up before he ever got in it. There's there's no chance it didn't with him as the uh, as the owner. Um let's see here. So his another one was has done, but no one's it yet. And your media creators, can you? Okay, so this one we've talked about this in the past, and I don't think it'll ever happen. But he's like, Daniel has mentioned or hinted at things about riders, things about Roxon stuff with Jet, and then you know, of course, we, the Baggett stuff. But with your media career and being in the sport for a long time, do you ever see anybody or you tell, uh, writing a tell-all book? I don't think it would um, happen, dude. I, don't, I, I mean, no, be, no, no one, no. no one would. I don't think anyone would ever produce it. That's no. why, like, I don't think anyone would ever print it because there, there, there is some. There, uh, uh, this isn't just a moto thing. Too. This is yeah. every industry. This is your local any job. Racing, any racing, 
you mean you're you're on the road 29 weeks out of the year, or even more than that? But like it's with not, well, it's not even that. It's not even that. Just think about like yeah, your local workplace. Like there's always like little things going on. Like yeah, there there there's there's all kinds of little secrets going on all the time in the workplace in general. I mean, I remember yeah, there's always drama. You know, I worked when I when I worked at the gym, dude. There was you know a bunch of guys and girls all in their twenties, and you know this guy was dating that girl from over there at that other gym. And there's there's all kinds of weird stuff like that always going on. So to, right. to, to think the moto industry is like some weird, crazy place where weird stuff goes on only that's silly. But I just don't think anyone would ever like feel the need to come out and just blow people away right. with some personal stuff that wouldn't even be verified for one. Like I said, I don't think a, a, a book company would be willing to print something that's unverifiable. And there's a lot of like goofy rumors in the sport. So, um, like what I, I don't I, would you I, get either, you know, there's no gratification writing a book like that. You know what I mean? No, I, I, no. And, and, um, and I don't even know if it would be that enjoyable because it, it, most of it would be stupid. So, uh, right. no, I don't, I don't think so. And I definitely wouldn't. I, I I don't even, I wouldn't have the patience to even write a book anyway. So I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely back in my younger years was, you know, tried to get into screenwriting a little bit. I loved movies and shows. So I did a little bit of that, but at this point in my career, I, I sitting down and writing. Yeah. Hell no. Like I have no interest in doing that. Gotcha. Um, all right, cool. So that's kind of where I was at too. Like, uh, you know, me and Knowles have talked, like stuff like like that too like even Knowles and I were like dude if anybody wrote a book yeah it would, it'd be some shit in it but it's like what would be the point right like there's just there's no point to it so um but it would just be meant to destroy people exactly yeah it just it, yeah it would have it would have no there would be not, no good yep. outcome of it at all like it wouldn't be, no. it wouldn't benefit nope. the sport at all be a huge net negative right, exactly. for and everybody involved. Yeah. Um, so his last one for you, and then I'll have one for you as well, but his last one for you would be, um, let's see here. He's got a couple that I'm kind of just going, kind of going through them right now. Listen to Daniel break. Right. All right. So like if JD wants to know if he ever comes to NorCal, he says, you're really, seems like you're really good at breaking down races and riders and kind of seeing that, you know, the technique and whatnot. If you got to spend a day with JD, could you get him faster in moto? Because oh, yeah. granted, like he's a he's a super bike champion or sorry, super sport champion, and then he's I don't think he's won AFT, but he's he's won a couple championships in road racing. So do you think you can make him a better easily? Rider? I could easily. Oh yeah, well because like I'll put it this way, if you're working with a pro like yeah. motocross or supercross rider, dude, it it takes a lot of work to cut a second or maybe two seconds. Okay. But if you're an intermediate, you got a lot of room to grow. If you're a novice, you have a lot of room to grow. If you're a beginner, it's like endless, endless. growth yeah. available. <laughs> yeah. So depending on his moto skill set, I could definitely find a way to make him faster because there's usually five to ten spots on a track that most people ignore because they just don't think about it. Okay. I mean, that's what I was working on today with Evan. I was like, dude, you're railing like great. I mean, he was doing 146s. Okay. I was like, dude, you're looking great. But, dude, there's a couple of easy spots that you're just ignoring. They're not even hard. It doesn't even take skill. It's like you're just, like, not thinking about it. Right. Pointed those out, and, dude, he started doing 143. So I cut three seconds out of my kid's lap time today on a track that he's used to just by pointing out simple things. So you uh, send me up, uh, you know, Hunter Lawrence. Dude, I, I don't know if I could even cut a tenth of a second. He's freaking phenomenal. Like, I, don't, I, don't, right. I don't know if I could have any effect on someone that good. 
But you find me someone at the intermediate or novice level, dude, I, I could find three to five seconds just by watching them ride a couple laps because there's spots that people just ignore, like yeah. easy spots. So that's, uh, that, that, yeah, come on up. Let's go. We'll do it. It's crazy when you watch like riders ride at practices and like that goat trail forms. And it's like if you just go yep. three inches over, you can make a whole nother line or even find a whole nother line that's faster. Like today, I, I did it today. I, I struggled. I didn't struggle, but there was a good rut. It was a good line. But I went like four inches over and then started going to the outside and it was like so much smoother and it set me up better for the next corner. Like it was just ex- exploring those options is pretty nutty. And like that's what I think, like you said, for you is when you see that you can be like, dude, like you're doing great. But if you go a little bit farther out, you're going to carry more momentum and it's going to set you up better for that corner. So it might feel that corner might be feel awesome, but you're struggling in the next one because the way you're setting yourself up. Yeah. Big time. I mean, it's a, a line change could make a second. So. And that's usually just, like I said, that's, I, I'm, I'm really good at spotting the obvious. I, I don't know how good I am at breaking down those fine-tuned details. Like even the other day on Race Day Live, we had AJ Cat and Zero on the show, and he was just kind of pointing out some like little like details, and I was like, damn. Like that it was really smart and technical. Like I don't see those things as well, like the micro-level stuff. Yeah. So for me, like finding a tenth would be harder than finding a second. Because I'll just find like, oh, wow, you are literally, I know that corner right there is difficult. And I know that corner after it, four seconds later is difficult or difficult. But the two seconds in between or the three second gap of flat in between, you're not even doing anything. Right. Like I could find all those pieces and put together. Like I, 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 I pride myself on being probably the best coach ever for like a fast novice. I could, you give me a fast novice, dude, and I could make some things happen because half their issues is just not seeing things. Right. And so little, I would be mistakes. good Yeah, but dude, you give me Justin Barsha for a week, dude, I don't even know if I'd be able to cut a tent. He's, <laughs> he's as gnarlier shit than I ever did. So, I mean, I, I could see little things, but I don't know. But I, yeah, but anyone else, like anyone in that amateur amateur level of skill, like, I, God, I I love that. Because usually you can make some big games just by, uh, by kind of looking at things that are being ignored. So I, I love that part of it. Yeah. So there you go, JD. Book a flight to Sacramento. Daniel will pick you up, and you'll have, yeah. a, he'll have a 150 R waiting for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Sweet. Well, that, that wraps up the Beach Say What segment. So huge thanks to JD Beach. Um, really appreciate his time and helping us out with those episodes or these questions and uh, helping out with this segment. So we're growing. It's It's been fun. So I look forward to doing more with him. We're going to have a. Uh, Right now, we're working on maybe getting Damon Bradshaw next weekend, so I, I'm excited to see what questions come up for that segment. So make sure to tune in for that one. Um, but for you, we also have another segment called the Scott Subjects. Um, kind of copied you a little bit with your listener questions, but we do subjects instead of list, instead of quest, listener questions. So um, yep. huge thanks to Scott. Like You've been a big Scott guy forever. Um, I've been in Scott since I've worked with WPS, and Knowles and Janolfi and Primo over there just absolutely crushing it. So huge thanks to those guys. Um, you have a favorite Scott product or anything like not just now, just anything in your 30 years of riding, um, anything that you really love from Scott. I mean, I always like the hustle goggles. My son still wears, um, and then for me, the Scott tune, um, sunglasses. I mean, I have, I mean, I don't tell Janolfi this, but I, I got, I made him send me some more, but I already had some because I just wanted to stock up on them. Yeah. I have a couple spares now, so don't tell Dave. You can tell Noel if you don't care, but Dave gets all feisty over it. So, uh, yeah, I got a couple sets of those. I, those are my favorite glasses ever, ever. Like they're, dude, they, 
I don't like when glasses hurt your ears. I yeah. hate when they dig into your ears, and these things just sit on there like they're meant to be there. So I, I love that glasses. And then a, to me, the hustle goggle, like when that thing came out, I just it was perfect for my face. My kid runs it, so I mean, I, I know that's a, not fun, but uh, yeah, the, the hustle to me is just it's always been bitching. Yep, I got a pair of tunes in the van right now. And then I also just got a pair of the new blades, and uh, mm. my wife says I look like an idiot when I wear them, but is what no, it is. Okay. She's she's cool. married to me, so <laughs> I guess I'm winning. Yeah, suck for her, suck for her then. So <laughs> yeah. I'd, if I were you, I'd wear them every day. Yeah, there we go. Um, so my question for you, or my subject for you, is media. What do you think is the pros and cons of the media of our sport? Uh, the pros, the pros, the pros. The pros would be uh, the passion for it. Okay. Um, Involvement. All the people that. All the people that do media in our sport, like they really love it. I think I don't. You don't see many that are like, "Oh, I hate my job. I can't believe I'm having to cover Supercross or motocross." You know what I mean? Right. So I'd say the passion comes through because the, the journalists and the, the media and the photographers in the sport all really, really, really love it, which is cool. Because if you're a journalist and or you're in the media and the NBA, the NFL, I'm sure you love it too. But there's something weird about our sport where like the people that are involved in it, it's just it's it's so passionate and you can, I, I, when you talk to the journalists in the sport and the media that they really like, they just love, they can't, they really can't wait for the gate to drop. Not only because they're doing their job and want to cover it, but they really like love it. I mean, even me, like I, I'm on TV, but so you think that I'm like a TV guy, I, dude, I'm not, I'm, I'm a nerd fan. Dude. You're I'm, a fan. Yeah. I, lo- I love the sport. I, I'm, I geek out over it. So, um, the, our media is like that too. I think it's a pro because they're passionate and they, they work hard and they do good jobs. The con would be, and this isn't a knock against them individually, it's just the way our sport kind of is. I think that all the racing sports are kind of the same. We don't have a, a hard media. Um, you know, and I know that sucks because you got Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and some of these dweebs out there that are just, I think Dig, they're just provocative. Dirt. Yeah. Uh, they're just provocative because they're, they're trying to get on, you know, they're trying to get their clips online, whatever. I, I'm not a fan of that. But I do like the real hardcore analysts that are on the NFL Sunday morning shows. Like they're they're not afraid to throw Ben Roethlisberger under the bus, and he's like a future Hall of Famer or whatever. And if he's playing bad, they'll rip him up, and they'll ask him what's going on over there. Like, what are you doing? But yeah, our sport, the media would never, ever, 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 even. I mean, they can't even barely hint around criticism of the writers, and I think the problem is. Because they're fans of them, you know what I mean, and that's right. and that and that's it's not their fault. It's just the way our sport is. We've never really had a, a really um, a, a hard a hard media that that challenges these writers and calls them out when they need to. And like even Aaron Plessinger, like I, I love AP, but his first two years on a 450 were bad. A, a, a real journalist would say this guy's on his way out. He does not deserve that ride. He, you know, they would they would call him out for it. And in our sport, you know, we everyone dances. Right. Oh, you know, and but I love AP, and dude, no one's like, oh, you know, that NFL quarterback, he's playing like shit. But I just love him. You know, yeah. like, we don't get that in the big sports, and I kind of wish our sport had a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have to be somebody that's kind of not, not intertwined. Yeah, yeah, because the people that are intertwined, or it, it's like one of those things. Like even for me, I can't be too harsh because if I ever get too harsh. Dude, I'll lose access. Right. So it's like I can't. I can be as honest as possible and try to like just 
do the right thing. But I can't really call anyone out like hardcore, like maybe needs to be done at times, because I would lose access from probably them, their team, and then if they had an agent, probably all their writers. Right. So you know what I mean? Like it, there's like there's just a fine line. The sport is too small for us to be that way. But I really wish we had um, a, a little uh, a little feistier media that you know called writers out when they needed to and, and challenged them when they need to be challenged. And I, I we don't get that at all. And it's not a bad thing. This isn't like us dissing. It's not being negative. I, I think the sport actually grows when you have like a, a more constructive media because right. you're you're bringing things to light more and you're challenging people's thoughts and they, there creates more debate and. It, it's it's just a little bit too much butt kissing in the sport, but I understand why because that's all it's ever been. It's not like it was good once and it went away. Like this is just the way the sport has always been covered. And me being a fan of the NFL and the NBA, I see other ways that it could be covered. And um, I, I wish we had a little bit more of that. If I wasn't in TV, I would I would do it uh, yeah. because I, I I I like that you model. I believe in that yeah. model. Uh, but I obviously I have different goals and aspirations and being in media. So I'm kind of in the middle right now, but um, I, I just, I, I wouldn't be able to play that role the way it needs to be played. It would ruin my job. And yeah, so I, I, I just, it. I wish there was more criticism when it's needed, not yeah. unnecessarily and not rude and don't be a dick. But honestly, if someone needs to be called out, call them out. I think and, that's why uh, the Blair breakdown is so way. successful. Yeah, I think like the Blair breakdown almost seems like it's it's kind of going that direct, not that direction, but it's almost like you can kind of give your not your jabs, but you can kind of give your insight to where it's almost like it's more honestly, like you're saying before on the show, like you get to be more honest on Blair's breakdown. It's like you and just uh, Shane, right? It's just you and Shane. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like you get to really dig deep and kind of show your skills as an analyst and be like, okay, like. This happened, and we didn't pick it up on the broadcast, but this is what I thought. And it's, like, very insightful and very, like, yeah. um, I can't think of the other word. Anyways, I suck with vocabulary. Um, but, yeah, it's just you give a really good breakdown to where people can kind of be like, okay, like, that makes sense. You know, that, that relates because we always get the, the quote-unquote, like, super fans or core fans. They're like, you guys are dumbing it down too bad. So then, like, you come in hot with Blair Breakdown, and it's like, okay, well, here's more of a core uh, breakdown, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, I, I, the freedom on that show is I get to be really honest um, and I get to go long form and I just get to let it flow. Yeah. So there's no pre-production. There's no like hitting certain things that need to be hit. It's just press record and just say whatever I'm feeling. And obviously I have a, I'm, I have a, enough of a filter. I, I know the limit of what I can and can't say, but I've, I mean, I've, I've been contacted by a writer or two who weren't fully happy with something I said on there. And I just told them pretty much what I told you earlier is in order for me to do my job the best I can, I have to be honest. Um, you, you respect that, right? Like you have to do your job the way you have to do it. You have to give it your all well, for me to give it my all. I have to be honest, which means I have to say what I feel. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But yeah, uh, I think the fans deserve to hear just some almost unfiltered truth. Um, and I, and I think I do again in a respectful way, but on that show, I get to, I get to do that a little bit more cause it's just me it, thinking out loud pretty much. And, um, that's why I love that show. It's, I mean, I, I, I love it. It's turned into pretty much my favorite thing of the night, even though it's at the very end when I'm wiped out, it's, I, I freaking love when we finally press record and me and Shane just walk around and talk. It's, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. I think you have a really good balance of you know, doing your analyst's job on Peacock and NBC, but then you, you know, you go over to the breakdown and it's like you balance both really well and it kind of, 
you can see that, and I think that's even giving people be more people a fan of yours because they're like, okay, Blair's not just this cookie cutter, you know, taking a peck paycheck from Feld. It's like he's doing his job on Peacock, but then he's giving a whole another segment of insight on on Blair Breakdown. So it's really cool. Right. So yeah, I really thank you. It. I appreciate that, and I've had a good response from that. Think for that reason. Yeah. Um, I, I I felt if I was going to do a show like that, it needed to be for the fans. Show them things they've never seen. Um, yeah. Tell them things they haven't really heard throughout the day and night. And um, it, it's definitely a core show. It is. It's. It is meant for the diehard viewer who just wants that last little layer of insight. That's. Yeah. You know, that, that we're not looking for the people out there that. Huh? What is this? Like that? that this is for the diehard. And so it allows me to just kind of take the take the the life jacket off a little bit, you know what I mean, and just go for it because I yeah. I know who I'm talking to, I know the audience, and I know what they right. want. So um, I get to kind of open up and give it to them. So it's that yeah, Like I said, it's been and you even been had a uh, yeah, you even had writers actually ask you like, hey, dude, let me come on Blair Breakdown. So so I did. Cameron McAdoo wanted to come yeah, on. That's cool. He was like, dude, I watch it every single week. I want to come on and. uh we haven't had a rider on yet. I had uh, obviously Alex Dirtworks is always on. We had Mike Huey on one. Yeah. Um, Brayton was going to be on one, but I had a, or, an issue in Orlando. That's the the uh, this unknown issue I'll never speak of. Right. Um, and um, McAdoo, I'd love to have McAdoo on. We had Rutledge Wood on. Um, so I've had little guests on. I've, I've had guests here and there. I would like to have a rider or two on, but at the same time, I don't like the obligation of having to. You know, yeah, make it all scripted, it almost. Scripted almost. It, it, then it comes across a little scripted. I, I yeah. like to just let it out. Right. So uh, we'll see. We'll play around with it. Maybe Brayton. I'd like to get Brayton on because I, he, dude, I, I'm pretty impressed with him. Um, just the way he communicates. He's, yeah. I, I think he is damn good. So uh, I'd love to have him on just to break things down because I, I, to me, I'd be sitting there like a student. I'd be just trying to learn. He's, he's super intelligent. Yeah, so super. If I had him on the show, I'd be asking him all kinds of questions that I want to know. So right, we'll we'll try to make it happen. We'll get him. No, I like that. Um, I think that's that's huge, and I think that kind of goes towards my next question. Is you know, my next subject would be growth. You know, what what's a pro and a con to hurting or maybe helping our growth of the sport? You know, like we just saw Jet Lawrence just did a or not sorry sorry Hunter Lawrence just did a uh, funny video. You know, he's getting on that bandwagon of like fake calling people. Um, it's like we need stuff like that. So do you feel like give me some feedback and then I'll let you go. Like we're going a little longer than I than I expected, yeah. but it's been it's been fun. So but last question, last subject, like pros and cons of like growth uh for this sport. Oh, this is gonna be weird because um I'm gonna give you just kind of the surface of my theory I have on growth in the sport. I've been studying this for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um our our TV coach Tony Martinez that we worked with for a couple of years told me that if I wanted to be a good broadcaster, I needed to be a good producer because if you understand production, you can understand commentating better. And I mean, I took to heart. I've studied football, basketball, baseball, hockey, NASCAR, indie. Like I've studied all these sports just to see like how production works. And I'm trying to think of like how in the world do we through through the production of the sport that's live, that's TV, that's social media, like all 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 the different types of ways that we can produce content. Cause that's all you're doing, right? You're producing a TV yeah. show. You're producing a live show. You're producing social media content. You're producing uh, moto interaction. Like, it's, yeah. It's you're all just about producing. producing. Yeah. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to produce a product that people will buy. Well, in this sport, buying is viewership. Buying is 
live attendance, buying is social media interaction. Um, so for me, I, I think there's a couple of different things that are, I would say, missing as far as our ability to reach outside of our own little bubble. Because I think we live in a bubble, this sport does. Yep. Um, the first thing for me, I think you got to get the helmets off the riders more. I think that we need to start showcasing these guys as, um, as star humans instead yep. of just Mortal Kombat characters. Because that's all they look like. They look like Mortal Kombat characters when they're on a bike. Yep. You know, like Cyrax or Sector or whatever that, those dudes' name. What, what's the? I think it's Cyrax, the little uh, yellow dude on Mortal Kombat. I never so, watched I mean, it. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm talking about the video game itself. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, the guys with the helmet. There's two, and they look the yellow and the red guy. They have the same gear in the helmet. But anyways, um, I think we need to showcase these guys as people more because I, I just I feel like people sell more than objects, and uh, when they have their helmet on, I think they're, they look more like an object than a person. Yeah. So uh, I think that, and then number two, I, I truly believe that we need to grow more the, the old grassroots organic way, which, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story um, that I learned once when I was doing the music, and I think this will relate to what I'm talking about. The band AFI. AFI blew up whatever, I forget which album actually blew them up, but when they blew up, they already had a massive, massive fan base. And the reason why is because they were super grassroots. They were not, they were not commercial. They were not trying to come across commercial. They were very, very core to who they were. They were original. They were organic, and they spread from word of mouth. Friends told friends, told friends, told friends, and these guys had a huge following. And then when they had commercial success, major label, whatever, they blew up and had sustainability for a pretty long time because the base was built. Okay, I think that our base needs to be bigger. We have a lot of people that participate. We have a lot of people that ride and do it. But the actual fan base of people who watch Supercross needs to grow through the people that participate. Because I talk to people right now that, yeah, we raced this weekend. Did you watch uh, Daytona? Oh, no, I didn't catch it. Who won? And I'm like, wait, you ride. You have three bikes in your garage. Your kid races, and you don't even you didn't watch it? Right. Oh, no, you know, I had a birthday party to go to. And I'm like, how in the absolute hell do people that do this sport race, participate, ride, go trail riding, whatever. They don't watch every single one. Yeah. Like how in the hell does that even happen? And the reason <laughs> why I think is because I, I, I don't think we've steered enough of our content and our production towards the participant. I think it's been very, I think it's been a show. It's been a great show, but I don't think it's been super detailed towards the participants. And that's why you have a lot of people that participate that don't even watch. Yeah. So for me, I think we need to go way more back to the grassroots. Um, go get get more authentic, get more core. Go after our our participating fan base that's out there, and get them involved again. I mean, there's a lot of people that ride that don't listen, and we or that don't watch. And we need them all watching. We need them all glued to the TV. We need them in every stadium. You know, we need them all listening to every podcast. We need them reading every magazine. We we need the core participant all in. And I don't think we are, and I don't think we can ever really grow outward until we grow a little bit more inward. Okay. So for me, I, I think we need to take advantage of this rare time where people are riding more than ever. They're participating. It's like, it, dude, it's psychotic what's happening right now in the participation yeah, it's level amazing of the sport. For our sport. Yeah. And I don't know if it's transitioning into the pro side of things, the viewership, the obviously live attendance doesn't count right now. It's different. Right. Um, but I, I don't think it's translating into 
a bigger fan base. And the more fans you have that are core, they're going to spread it to their friends. You know, if you have someone that just can't get enough, they're going to tell their friend, they're going to tell their uncle, they're going to have their spouse watch. I, I think personally, we need to take a step back um, and realize who we are and really focus on the core fan of the sport and get them back on the couch, get them more involved and let them help us with the growth. Okay. Um, I, that, that's just my opinion on it. I, I could be wrong, but that's, I've studied uh, other niche sports and figured out how they got their little bump. And um, I think we could get a big bump. It would take a good three to five year investment to really, really speak to the core audience and um, then make the leap commercially. When we have a Jet Lawrence in the 450 class, and when we have Ryder D and right. Hayden D, and there's, yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of star power coming. And I think we need to spend the next few years reinvesting in the sport and getting the core back into it. Um, because there's a lot of people that are that love this sport on a participation level that just don't watch. And I yeah. and I when I hear that it makes me sad and I'm like, what the hell? Do but you, um I, 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 I that's what I think we need to do. Do you think it's too long on TV? Like do you think we should only show like main events and make it like an hour long show and then the core fans of course have peacocks so they can watch the whole thing, but do you feel like NBC or the new network uh, that I keep hearing about that might be coming, I don't know for sure, but do you feel like it should only be like an hour long or an hour and a half, man, man, Do you feel like the three I, hour show is too I'm long. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked this because this is, this is what I think needs to happen. And I don't, I don't even know if it can, I don't know if it would. I don't, I don't, I don't know. This is just my dream scenario. Yeah. I think that every race needs to be live on Saturday night Okay. and it needs to be cut down afterwards into an hour long show with the two fifty heat race highlights, not yep. the whole thing, just yep, the just highlights. Highlight. Yep. And the, and then the 250 main, yep. and then the 450 highlights and the 450 main in a one-hour show every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. And it's the perfect time of year. It's January through May. There's no football, which football owns Sunday, okay? But yeah. when football is not on that time of year, we need to be on Sunday mornings when everyone is waking up, getting out of the bed, getting their coffee, getting their whatever, sit down and watch an hour-long cut of last night's race, and that needs to be on the big channels, you know, like like an NBC Channel 3. Right. I think you do that for three years, and you speak to the core audience for those three years, this thing looks a whole lot different in 2025, 26, right when we have it. For some of you that don't want to hear this, I, I understand. But yeah. Hayden Deegan, Ryder DeFrancesco, some of these young little names that are coming up, they have a little bit more to their name then the last kind of generation of stars did coming out. Yeah. And it might be popping right at the right time that we have some real appeal because Ryder D has already had some relationships in the NASCAR world from his agent side and Jimmy Johns. And then of course, Deegan with his sister. And of course, Bryant, those two from a popularity standpoint, I think have the potential to have some serious star power. They got more followers um, than half but, of our but, gate. <laughs> I know, but we have to build it up. Yeah, we need to build it up first so that they can then take it to the commercial level. You don't want them to be the ones that have to do the dirty work, and, and that's right. what again, like I think we need to as a sport do the dirty work and get this thing propped up and ready for some stars to really take it to the promised land. But there's just yeah. got to be some, in my opinion, some adjustments in just the approach. That's just that's, and that's just my opinion. I could be completely wrong. It's just no, what I've kind of dreamt up. That's why I asked that because I feel like we're on the same page about that. It's just. I think as as far as a fan, it's not core. I don't even know that's possible. I don't even know if that's possible. I, I yeah. don't, 
I don't even know if it would work. It was, it's just kind of like my theory just from a lot of long flights. Just, it's just what I kind of think I think would work. Well, like you just said, like, I got a birthday party. Okay, you got a birthday party. I understand you can't sit down for a three-hour show, but you can at least watch in a one hour. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of people even – I could be wrong, but just almost fast-forward to the mains anyways. You know what I mean? Some guys watch the whole thing, but a lot of times I'll catch myself, like, not even worried about heats. Like, I'll be like, oh, crap, I'm going to miss the heats, but, like, no biggie. I'll just watch the mains. Like, I oh, I really only care about the mains anyways. So, well, I, to me – to me, that's why a, a three-hour live show on Saturday night and a one-hour re-air on Sunday morning, there it is. That To me, that's the formula. I just don't know if that even works. I don't know how right. television yeah. works, so I, I don't even know if it's possible. We could all have pipe dreams. Um, yeah, it's just, to me, I'm just thinking of where the audience is. And I can tell you on Sunday morning, most people are getting out of bed. Either they had a long week of work and they're like, oh, finally, my day off, yeah. or they're hungover or whatever. But Sunday morning, dude, you... 11 a.m. Eastern, so 8 a.m. Pacific, dude, you sit down, and it's a one-hour re-air of last night's Supercross. Yeah. Dude, I think the numbers would be insane, and I think you would get a, you'd, you'd start reaching new people. You do that for a, a couple years straight, and this thing, I, I think, is triple its size. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just my theory. I like it. No, I'm on board with it. What do I sign? Um, but, Daniel, I appreciate it. Man, I can't thank you enough. Um, I sh- Thank you very much. I hate when I say I can't thank you enough. Um, but huge thanks. I really <laughs> okay. appreciate it. Um, anybody you want to say thank you or anybody you want to shout out before I let you go? Um, yeah, just all your listeners. I think it's cool. Anyone that's listening to the show, you're obviously a diehard fan. We're, we're all freaking searching for content nonstop. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing this. And to all your fans that tuned in, I'm dude, I'm right there with you. This sport's badass. And, and if you're listening to a moto podcast, it's because you really are all in, which I think you are and I am. So I, I we're all we're all kind of brothers and sisters in this thing, you know. We're all we're all diehards. So yep. To all your fans, just thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you guys. And then Daniel's doing a show on Tuesday, so make sure you check that out. He's gonna have uh, Dan and are you having Vincent on Tuesday or no? Nope, just Toolman Dan. Okay, just Dan. So yeah, Dan and of course producer Joe, voice of an angel. So make sure you tune in on that. <laughs> Um, but again, thank you, Daniel. Thank you to our sponsors, um, Spot Network TV, Scott Goggles, Works Connection, Bell Ray, and Motion Pro. Please check those guys out um, on their websites, on their Instagram, at the local dealers. Very, very, very thankful for those guys. Um, but that's episode 22 with Daniel Blair. Again, Daniel, thank you very much. Tell Maggie, I say hi. Tell the kids, thank you for the time. Um, but man, I appreciate it. No problem, brother. Anytime. All right, buddy. Have a great night. I appreciate it. Thank you. Later. Later.